Welcome back to the Sharon Fitzmaurice podcast in episode 90. And my guest this week is Janine Van Sommeren. I'd have to ask Janine, am I pronouncing that properly? Rest, resilience and energy specialist and the founder of the Wellbeing Advantage. As a professional accredited transformational coach with a PhD in life story research, Janine founded the Wellbeing Advantage to combine a passion for well-being with the skills of high performance physiological testing to illustrate the path to a healthier lifestyle. Mm, we like all that and we want to know more. Now Janine lives in Sligo with her husband and two boys after living in London for over 25 years. And you are very welcome back to oh. Ireland, Janine. <laughs> thank you so much, Sharon. And thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast. I can't tell you how lovely it is to be working alongside such a nice Irish accent, which I must say, was one of the main things I missed when I was uh, working overseas. There's lots of Irish in London, but uh, the accents change. We 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 slow down our, our chat in order to be understood. So it's lovely yeah. to talk to a, a fellow uh, Irish woman who's uh, as enthusiastic and passionate about wellness and, and well-being as myself. So uh, a million a million thank yous to you. Oh, Janine, you're just lovely. <laughs> and I said to Janine before we started, you know, I never get into a fixed um, question, you know, with my guests beforehand, because for me, it's like I've just met you for the first time in person, which we yeah. have met in person on Zoom. So it's just like meeting in a coffee shop or an event and saying, oh, my God, tell me all about your work, because I'm very curious I like to learn something new from everybody I meet. I think yeah. to stay in wonder and awe and curious curiosity of other people's work can also help ourselves, not just for us as therapists, but us as our own personal development for us as well. So I'm yeah. fascinated. But we'll start with, and I love this, I love that you went to college in the UK. And first of all, coming from, where were you from originally? So I'm from Sligo. So I'm from Always. just yeah. north of Sligo town. So yeah, born and bred Sligo woman. Yeah. Lovely. And was that a big move? Because I've lived in London as well. And I hear people saying, you know, when they went, it was the adjustment. You've talked about the accents and having to slow down. But what was the biggest adjustment for you? Because you were young as well, weren't you, Janine? Yeah. Over? So... Um, to put it into context in terms of the move, the move to, to London was very much based on uh, my passion for sport. So my teenage years, I was really heavily involved in, in Irish tennis. So I, I competed and played um, with the national squad probably from about the age of 13, which involved a lot of travel up and down to Dublin every weekend and sort of within provincial tennis. So like from a young age, um, I was very independent and I was traveling around a lot. Um, my mom instilled in independence into me and, and my brother and sister. So the actual move to London really, you know, literally the move was fine in terms of the traveling and being in a new city. I've been used to that. I played tennis all around Ireland and spent weeks at a time in various different cities and um, what really helped Sharon is the fact that I went to Strawberry Hill College in Twickenham. Now, for any of, of you listeners who know anything about PE and sport and the history of PE teachers in Ireland, you'll know that the majority of them went to Strawberry Hill in Twickenham if they didn't go to UL. So to put it into context, my class of 35 in the University in London, um, 20 of us were Irish. So I studied sports science and sport rehabilitation in an environment that was very, let's just say, welcoming to the Irish community. It's a Catholic university. It's a small community based one campus. We all lived on site. So, yeah, the move, while daunting, probably not as you know, a similar dauntiness to someone who went to UCD or UL or UCC mm. at the time. Obviously, I'm using the old, old acronyms, the old language, as opposed to the NUI language of today. Yes, yes. But yeah, the, the move itself was fine. I absolutely yeah. loved it. Um, I followed my passion, which, which, again, is important for anyone who's looking for, you know, a sort of a whole life where they're, you know, following what's purposeful to them. Sport was my passion. I studied sports science and absolutely found my calling 
I, I mm. found my people, found my tribe. And, and as you all know, like if you find your tribe, you're a happy person. So the move to London was, was a great success. Wow, that is amazing. And what I love and I can hear it in you, even as you're speaking, is finding your passion. And then, yeah. excuse me, that's something beeping on my computer. But I think for as well is for anybody, and there's people of all ages now, and they say they never found their passion. They still don't know what their life purpose is. Yeah, but for you, finding your passion at that young age is was so, I suppose, valuable really to you, Janine. Because again, like that, you've met people and they're quite lost. They might have done something else yeah. in college and went on. Say it was nursing, for example, but it wasn't their passion. It was something their parents wanted them to do, or it was stability in you know, financially yeah. secure, whatever it is. And that can drag us down. It can have so many effects on our own well-being. So when you're speaking about passion and you can hear and see it in you, that it's so important that people find what's passionate for them. But again, people, they don't trust themselves. They don't trust that inner guidance that they have. And they look outside for external you know, gratification, whether it be finance Absolutely. or whatever it is. So to hear it from you and you're living your passion, living, you know, and doing the work because of your passion. That's why I always say if you find your passion, you'll find your job. You'll yeah, find your you'll, uh, yeah. You never work a day in your life if you find something that you're passionate about. And yeah. the clients, you know, when, when I, you know, when I first became involved in the world of, of coaching and transformational coaching, a lot of my clients came to me. They were career changers. So whilst their well-being triggered we need to go and talk to somebody once the conversation was started and you're curious about how someone has ended up you know opposite you a real common denominator is people in their late 30s early 40s who have successful careers have managed to climb that you know corporate ladder they're doing well they've um, moved house, got a bigger mortgage, got married, had kids, and all of a sudden have responsibilities that mean staying on this corporate ladder is a necessity because they're bound to the financial demands that are set on them because of their jobs. The, initially, those clients who come to me with their well-being, whilst we address well-being issues, the curious holistic coach within me will look at the setup of not just physiologically what's going on but the environment and especially in my early days of working when I wasn't so specifically looking at stress resilience and, and energy and sleep in my early days when I was sort of a well-being holistic coach a lot of it was career change and I would say 90% of my clients were moving away from the corporate ladder um, corporate high stressful traveling in and out to London not sleeping well extremely stressed and overwhelmed and you know at the point of suffering from burnout and it was for them a key question exactly like you said what is it that you really want to do what is it that you're passionate about what is it that will let your days pass by in a meaningful, purposeful way. And in particular, I have to say the women that I spoke to who were in their thir late 30s, early 40s, asking them the question, what is it that you're passionate about? Was possibly the most challenging question they had. Mm -hmm. Really difficult for especially these women who had consumed their lives with their husbands and their kids and were sort of routinely going in and out to work if they were if they were working and literally hadn't stopped in maybe 15, 20 years to think, what do I want to do? How do I want to spend my time? And um, so, yeah, purpose and meaning behind someone's well-being. I was looking at the result of someone living in a, in a life that lacked purpose. And I was looking at the physiological effects of that on their sleep, their diet, their energy, and they're continually getting ill when they're on holidays. That's a real red flag to me, going on holidays. And all of a sudden you've got a cold, flu, <laughs> sick, picking up little, little problems. You know, it, it, it means that your body is begging you, please stop, mm, please pause yeah. and check in with, with how you are 
whether it's emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, but it's a real, it's a, it's a warning sign. Stop, look after yourself, ask yourself, what is it that will make my life more meaningful today? What one change could I make? Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a biggie, that purpose, that, that, that purpose question is, is massive for, for you and I and anyone who works within the wellness industry. At whatever scale we're on, we're continually talking to people who really have just lost their way. Yeah. And you know what? It's something that we hear quite a lot. And I do have great compassion for people. Like you said, they have given their lives to their career, their families, and then it could be late 30s, late 40s, even early 50s. And I think, again, um, changes in particular for women, you know, suddenly they realize going like, I've done all of this. My children have left home now. And what is there for me? But where do I fit in in this world? You know, what's my identity now without being the mothering role, having to fend every day for these young children, young teenagers, you know, where do I fit in now? And I haven't had those hobbies. I haven't given myself yep. any development over the years. And um, I've kept in touch with my friends, but not really done anything with them, you know, and it's, they, they've got lost along the way. And I yep. say, well, it's not that it's your fault. It's just the way maybe we were programmed and maybe what we saw in our lives before that. Would you agree, yep. Janine, that a lot of it comes down to our conditioning? Yeah, absolutely. We've we've sort of, you know, we, we're programmed from the moment we enter really, well, you could say primary, but primary is a bit of crack, to be honest. Now, it's more secondary yeah. where you have the sort of career guidance and the, yeah. the focus on exams and results. And we're, we're programmed to link our happiness with achievements that are based on certificates or job titles. And um, we lose sight of the fact that actually feeling happy in a real literal basic sense of I'm not sad, but that happiness comes from much more basic things. And it can be simply asking the question of, you know, when is the last time you, you lost sense of time? So when is the last time you were doing an activity and you completely lost yourself into, in it? Well, usually the answer to that question is something that has real value and meaning to you. It could be gardening, it could be yoga, it could be, you know, absolutely anything, any activity at all where you lose track of time. Um, dancing and, and for me, Janine, dancing for me. <laughs> yeah, like, like literally it can be anything. I have one client, um, an amazing guy based down in Cork. And, you know, I, I you know, as you know, from from looking at my profile and from from us chatting and, and working together mm-hmm. that I I look at people's physiological data and I look at how their day is spent with regards to um, being in a state of rest or stress or restoration or sleep. Mm-hmm. And I look at that profile through the day. I have one amazing client down in Cork. His most restorative state in the three months that I was working with him was spent on a Friday afternoon going through Dunn's stores, doing a shop for the evening. He loves cooking for his family. He didn't have the pressure of meals for the week and school lunches. He was literally just in a state of, I'm just going to go to Dunn's and do a shop for this evening's meal. And I want to do something that my family will love and I will love cooking. And his restorative state was equivalent to sleep, Sharon. So his heart rate variability was high enough that it was like a sleep state. He was completely in a restful, restful state. And that's amazing for me. Like that's that's what I'm always looking for. When what activities allow someone to thrive? Yeah. Oh my God, that's amazing. It has me, it has my (laughs) little brain going. And I and just as you were saying it, you know, I straight away, obviously, we always talk about our own personal experience. But for me, that would be when I'm working with one to one clients. Yeah. Does that yeah. make sense? A hundred percent. That would make sense. I would I would expect for someone like you who loses themselves within the process of nurturing and caring for your clients and fully immersing yourself in the process with them. 
that that would appear on the data that I use. That would appear and it would look, it would be a green on your graph, the color green on your graph, which signifies that your parasympathetic, your parasympathetic system is in full mode of rest, focus, and thrive. And it's the exact same profile that we see when someone is in deep sleep. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And, and I again, love that. And, and Sharon, for me, what helps is if I'm working with a client who sleeps badly. Yeah. So if I'm working with someone who goes, you know, I really, I don't get much sleep and I don't wake up refreshed. And I can say, well, let's not put an overemphasis on getting all our restoration during sleep. Yeah. For the moment, let's just see if during the day, are there things that you can do that allow your body to go into a restoration mode? So for you, I love hearing that. And, and again, <laughs> I'm similar. I get I get very green during the periods when I do sort of highly focused work. So it could be writing or it could be working with a client. Yeah. And that that shows up to me. I use the word green, but that's the state of of rest, focus, immersion in an activity. And it's a thrive state. Wow. And what I love energetically, the green for me would be around our heart center as well. Yes. So, again, it's when it's you're doing something that you love, you find joy in, but it's also motivating you, you know, even though you're not out there and it's not running a marathon, but it motivates you yeah. because of the focus. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. that's where people lose track of time. You know, so you would you you suddenly have a knock on the door saying, Sharon, you know, yeah. you need to stop now. Dinner's ready. Yeah. Or Sharon. <laughs> and you, you, you know, I talk, clients will talk about like jolting out of that state, yeah. like being surprised out of that state. Mm. Um, and yeah, like, like I say, for some people it is supermarket shopping. I will put a caveat to that. That's so rare. Like that Very is rare, I would say. I would say very rare. <laughs> Is it, is it because it was a male doing the supermarket shopping rather than a female? I, I think that the main point here is it yeah. was it was a mind wandering process. Yeah. So in, in the same way, someone strolling and just enjoying the countryside and yeah. taking life in, being quite mindful. His was a, a mind wandering process around Duns. There's no list there is no specific aim. He's able to completely sort of disconnect and engage in just simply the process of what can I find that would be nice. Um, mm. So again, very different to the rushed, busy mom who has a list linked yeah. to meals, linked to you know preferences for food and what what little Billy likes, but what little Sally doesn't like. Yeah. Ah. And plus, she um, has to go home then, take out the shopping, do all the dinners. You know, it's not just the shopping, it's go moving forward in their minds Listen, to everything, everything they have to do. Yeah. yeah. So that is amazing. And the you say you use a lot of data. So how would you track that data then? Tell people how you track the data for a client. Yeah. So, it you know, not every client will decide that they want to have the sort of physiological measurement taken for them and that's fine because obviously by talking with clients and talking through their routine I can get a really good idea of what their day looks like and what their stressors or energizers might be like I say the majority of clients that I work with are very stressed <laughs> they are tired they're not sleeping well they're overwhelmed with work they are intelligent creative people who are able to look up google and look why am i not sleeping what should i eat for energy so by the time i see clients a lot of them have tried many things and the things they've tried aren't wrong you know they're they're trying things that they were taught about in school and they read about in the media they're they're correct things but they're not right for them so at that point, I would always recommend that we go and take this a step further. Um, I have a background. I have a master's in applied human science. I was a sports scientist for 15 years. I know data. I know how to measure the human body. Um, I've partnered with a company called First Beat Technologies. And with that, we have a wearable device 
really handy, can fit in your pocket, but it's essentially worn on the chest as a portable ECG. And it will measure both heart rate, but importantly for me and the work I do, we measure heart rate variability, which is essentially a measure of your body's resilience. Mm. And this is very difficult to measure with a, a Fitbit or a Garmin or, you know, people have Apple watches now and they're great at measuring what their heart rate is like. But this wearable device, the focus here for me is looking at heart rate variability and looking at someone's measure of resilience because I expect my clients to have stressful days. They have stressful lives and I'm not going to lift them out of those, those lives. I'm not their fairy godmother. We're working mm -hmm. within the reams of everybody's reality. Yeah. So what I look at through measuring their heart rate variability, we do it over a minimum of three days and we're tracking the body's resources day and night continually for three days initially and measuring times when the body is in stress, which is fine. Mm. It's fine in moderation. And it's fine if we can balance it with times of restoration and recovery. The important thing that I'm looking for is that balance. So that the client that I'm working with, for example, I have a client called, let's call her Nora. She works, she's head of HR for a busy, busy company. She's based up in the north of England, actually. Um, she works all day, very red during the day, which basically just means she's busy. So she doesn't have big triggers. She doesn't have a boss that she hates. Everything is yeah. fine. She's just busy. Um, she rests well in the evening, but uh, she sleeps for 10 hours. Now, for her, she can't understand why she wakes up tired. So Nora works, works away, but her evenings, she's got no kids. She's got a very supportive partner. In her evenings, she rests well. She sleeps for 10 hours, but my data has shown her that out of those 10 hours of sleep, she gets two hours of restorative rest. Wow. So it's the equivalent of two hours deep sleep, which in the long term, the cumulative effect of that has huge negative repercussions to her well-being for, for every metabolical factor that you can think of. Mm. So we look at why that's happened. And for Nora in particular, it's alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> it's very relaxing evening, like super relaxing evening. She has a couple of glasses of wine, nothing huge. She's not binge drinking. She has a glass of wine with her meal and a glass of wine while watching Netflix, sat down on the sofa, relaxing. But the impact on the quality of her sleep is huge. Why? Because it combines with the stress and busyness of her day. She does not have the capacity to be drinking more than one glass of wine in the evening. So simply reducing her alcohol intake, not stopping it, but reducing it down to one measure, one, as I say to her, treat yourself to a gorgeous bottle of wine like make it so nice that you really do want to just have a small glass and cherish it has revolutionized the data and the sleep for her is the exact same so she hasn't changed anything about her bedtime routine she's still getting lots and lots of sleep but her quality is up to six hours so again it's not at the peak yet i'm still working with her but yeah. that one behavior change has had an impact in the amount of recovery that she gets during sleep. So don't assume you've slept 10 hours and everything and is got, rosy. Yeah, um, that's it's amazing, Janine, because a lot of people would say, oh, I have a great sleeper or the other way around. Yeah. I have a great sleep. So just like that lady, your client is like, why am I so exhausted the next day? But when I hear when you say like it's busy during the day, you know, and it's not big triggers, but she's busy, busy all through the day. Um, does she, you know, I would say, you know, during her lunch break, is she still red, you know, or does she actually yeah. come down a bit? And in the evening, is it the glass of wine that's the only thing that helps her relax? You know, is there something else? Because a lot of people are now using a glass of wine or several glasses of wine in the evening yeah. to calm down from the stress. Yeah. Working mothers at home and particularly in the pandemic, you know, because they were isolated and it had a huge effect on people. 
And they said the wine sales in Ireland went up like 100 percent. Yeah. So people were using it almost to detach from the stress in the mind or, you know, even the thought of the next day being stressful again and maybe relying on it to have those 10 hours of sleep. But then when yeah. you do the data, you realize, God, even though I'm getting that much sleep, it's not really doing me any good because yeah. I'm not getting what I, the quality of sleep I need. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the alcohol works as a sedation. You know, it, it is a sedative. So you know, it works for someone who can't sleep. Of course, you're going to sleep. You're going to knock yourself out. Like literally, you're knocked out. So the sleep, you fall asleep really, really quickly and assume that it's having the effect that you want. Gosh, I'm wrecked. Had a lovely couple of glasses of wine, fell straight asleep. Aren't I fabulous? Well, yeah. <laughs> do you know what? <laughs> It's not actually great. So, yeah, that, that sedative effect has a real impact on the quality of your sleep. You're, 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 it, it is you're drugging yourself and, and any sort of drug in the long term has a hugely negative effect. For someone like Nora, like I say, I use her example of the glass of wine and just just decreasing the amount and, and changing to a very expensive bottle of wine if, if necessary, which might seem extreme, but it's amazing the difference that will make to someone's psychology or behavior change. Yeah. Um, crucially with Nora, we looked also at her actual day. So mm. whilst a lot of my work is about controlling the controllables. So I can't control the amount of work and emails that are coming into her uh, uh, inbox or pressure that her boss is putting on her. You know, I, I don't have that magic wand. What I do have is the ability to give her well-being tips that she can use at the start and the end of the working day. And yeah. the impact that has really, Sharon, is, is I notice the impact on I'll start working with a client. And again, if we think of busyness in the day as being red on a graph, and if we picture that redness on the graph as being in a stressed state, it's really jagged. Those lines of red go up and down. They're angry lines. That's your body. I'm not happy. I'm not happy. And that red is angry lines. If I can build a moat as well, I call it. And it's something that's used within positive psychology. A researcher called Sean Aker is brilliant at describing this. But my aim with clients is to build a mode at the start and end of their day. And the impact that I see on this moat is that those jagged lines of stress and busyness lower. And that's a direct result of their heart rate variability, their resilience improving. So it's, a me it's measured by their heart rate variability. Yeah. But it's essentially showing that their resilience their response to stressful events decreases. Mm. Um, so an idea of what might be in that moat, a really simple one for anyone to do is turn off the news in the morning. Don't mm. listen to the news in the morning. Firstly, our body is high in cortisol and adrenaline when we wake up. We are set to take on the world. You know, all, all things being in line, we wake up and we're all set. Yeah. Um, the news throws our body off balance. Our brain is pretty rubbish at deciding whether or not that news is about us directly yeah. or just about something abstract. So less news, more music, listen to music, have that dance. For some people, I would suggest, you know, literally carving out even 10 minutes to just breathe, meditate if they need to. Many of my clients really struggle with meditation. I would say anything that causes you to relax. So reading a couple of pages of your book, um, anything at all where you are literally allowing your brain to pause and relax. If you can do that at the start of the day, even before you've had your breakfast, it has a huge impact. And for me, I measure that impact so I can see yeah. it in my clients. It impacts the stress response. So we have a lowering of that stress response. And those red lines are significantly less angry mm. and more like a controlled busyness. So we have a flat line of stress through the day. And I don't mm. even call that stress. That's just busyness. That's just yeah. life happening. Yes. Um, and the same but we have good stress, don't we? And bad stress. <laughs>
<laughs> there you are you're all right i as i said this podcast is very real it's about real life with phones and beings going off in the background <laughs> that's Honestly. all real life janine <laughs> It is all real life. And you know what it is? It's that it's that time of the day that mums look at and go, oh, yeah, children. But the, yeah. someone else is collecting children today. So I'm okay. Well, that's good. So <laughs> you have no another few minutes. You're all right. I love um, that. But yeah, so, yeah most, just the good stress and the bad stress, yeah. Um, yeah. Janine, because people think about stress usually in a negative way. And I would say, well, sometimes the good stress, the use stress is to help us perform. So that would be used a lot maybe in our yeah. busy working day or as a mom having to do 25,000 runs a week, you know, <laughs> for their kids to football matches or sports or whatever, dancing yeah. classes. And it's needing helping us and for the body to perform. So yeah. you can do, differentiate between that on yeah. your chart, on your data. And I think for people, you know, what it would be really interesting if people were really worried about their stress levels or, you know, they think they're getting great sleep, but actually they're going, well, no, I'm knocking myself out as well. That it would be a really good thing for them to do to see where, you know, the stress is and that they could look, as you said, over three days and say, yeah, God, I didn't think I was stressed during that day, but this yeah. is causing me stress. Now, for me, it would also be, Janine, a lot of emotional stress when people are in a relationship that's, you know, maybe going yeah. A little bit by the side it could be family external family it could be people that are unwell um it could be just with you where you are in your life right now and for a lot of women that are listening to this podcast and we've had these chats when it comes to perimenopause menopause yeah. a lot of anxiety um throughout the pandemic it was always there but it seemed to be uncovered more in people during the pandemic and as a result of that They'd say I'm out, but the anxiety hasn't left yet. Yeah. And they are my people. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> they are a hundred percent my people. Um, the data that I use, we also take into account hormonal changes. It also takes into account people's time of the month. Um, it takes into account anything that's happening within the body that will impact your heart rate variability and one of them would be perimenopause it would be quite it would be a significant impact in particular with sleep mm. and i would say that whether it's a female you know <laughs> i call them my tribe but you know whether it's a female is going through the perimenopause Quite often this happens with changes in relationships. There's a, there's a reason why divorce rates increase during the menopause and perimenopause period. There's, there's such massive changes in women's lives, both, both socially, emotionally and physiologically, um, that all of these variables are taken into account. But I would consistently say that the one measure that my clients are always a surprised with, uh, with how bad it is, but how easy it can be um, changed and improved it is sleep it is the the most obvious negative <laughs> yeah but the impact of the, or, or let me just start again we are notoriously bad at measuring sleep so even people who think they're sleeping badly have no don't realize just how bad that sleep is it really it really is horrific in, especially with perimenopausal women. So they might be in bed for, they might be asleep for six hours and they'll be getting away with sleep for six hours. But, but thinking, you know, six hours is a good night. And then they'll look at the data and they'll see really just how disjointed that night's sleep has been. They'll realize that there's a reason why they're waking up tired after what they perceive to be a good night's sleep and I'll have women who continually say to me I'm tired of being tired Janine yes yes and what I like to say is a the data justifies their tiredness because you begin to question yourself you're anxious you know you your confidence is low your ability to make those clear-cut decisions is hugely um, affected by the menopause. And therefore, for someone to be able to say to you, listen, you've every right to be wrecked. 
You've every right to be tired. The data clearly shows you're not getting enough sleep. You're not getting enough cover recovery to allow you to function in a way that you'll be happy with. Mm. Um, and for me and for particularly menopausal women, that insight alone is enough for them to ch make changes because they're like, wow, I'm not imagining it. This is my reality. And now I have the data to prove it. So knowledge is power, you know, and you know that as much as I do. And I then also know that what gets measured gets managed. So yes. we have measured it. Now let's manage it and manage it uniquely to your situation, tailored very specifically to your life. I'm not going to tell anyone to go jump in the Atlantic every morning because Wim Hof says it's a good idea. If that ain't for you, that ain't for you. I'll find some other way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think that's really important, Janine, to say, because obviously now there is more awareness around menopause. But what I have noticed is, you know, when you see it on social media every other day and it's take this or do that or you should be doing this or you should be doing that. We are not all the same just because we're women and just yes. because you're perimenopause or menopausal or you have problems with your cycle you know or infertility issues not everything is going to work the same for each of us because our bodies are completely different emotionally and mentally as well we think yeah. we feel we act our behaviors are all different so it is lovely to have data that works on your physiological state but also showing you mentally and emotionally you know how you're yes. dealing with stress and how in particular, and it's a huge one, you know, that's why I really said I'd love to focus on the sleep issue because it's a huge thing for lots of people. And I know even from some of my own clients that, you know, would be dealing with anxiety and depression and sleep is the main focus of all of their lives. The lack of sleep, you know, yeah. and the amount of sleep. How can we or maybe that's not the right way to ask you, but what is considered a good sleep? Mm, what <laughs> is considered a good sleep? Sharon, I mean, literally, if I could, if I could answer that question, yes. the, 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 the ideal amount of sleep that we should be getting is between seven and nine hours. Mm. Um, the, the utopia will be a consistent eight-hour sleep. Everybody is different. It's, it's a myth to think that people are early risers are, are are night owls okay so you know generally people need approximately let's just average it to eight hours sleep that is the ideal from the work that i do and the research that i conduct with you know using the data that i have my, my background as a researcher means i want to you know delve deeper each time and nice. um, it's very clear to me that a good night's sleep starts with good habits during the day yeah, it's not about scented candles, lavender pillows and, you know, an, an aura ring. It's mm. it's really about the habits that you have during the day so that by the time you go to bed, you are naturally and I'm using that naturally yeah. sleepy, not yeah. sedated, sleepy, like I talked about <laughs> earlier, that you're naturally sleepy. Your hormones have been regulated throughout the day. And here I'm thinking about sleep hormones in particular, but they've mm. been allowed to build up. They haven't been disrupted during the day. And you aim to follow your circadian rhythm as much as possible. We, we work, you know, I, I, when I'm working with clients, I try not to focus on what's going on in your eight hours sleep, but in the rest of your day. So what type of habits, behavior, lifestyle changes that you can make so that by the time you enter your bedroom and are ready to go to bed at night, you are appropriately, physiologically, socially, emotionally yeah. ready for sleep. Because most yeah. people just like busy, busy, busy during the day, busy, busy, busy in the evening. Now I'm going to go to bed and why can't I sleep? So mm. I'll put on a candle or I'll put on a podcast or I'll, and it's it's quite reactive as opposed mm. to our lives happen throughout the 24 hour period. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> our body's biological system works with a circadian rhythm. That you talk about the circadian rhythm yeah. to my listeners a little bit. Yeah. So so essentially it's this 24 hour clock that, you know, our bodies are amazing biological organisms. And we've evolved 
throughout li- our lives to live and work and breathe within this 24 hour circadian rhythm. I'll be dizzy doing this with my hands. <laughs> but our modern lifestyles have played havoc with our circadian rhythm. So at the moment with the clients that I work with, it's like they have two conductors of the orchestra that is their circadian rhythm. There is one that is like Mozart and it's like I can light candles and I can go for a walk and I can look after myself and eat well and exercise well and de-stress. And then you have the techno beat Mm. conductor who's look at this on Instagram, look at this on Twitter, watch this program on Netflix, watch the next episode, Succession is out, download it, watch it all. And it's these two conductors of modern life that play havoc with our natural circadian rhythm. Mm. So my advice to the client, any client that I have in terms of if I recognize that their circadian rhythm is off kilter, the first thing I will say is we need to get that back in check. And one really simple way that you can do that is within 30 minutes of waking, Go to your back door, Mm. open it and get some daylight into your eyeballs. I love it. I love (laughs) that you said that. I think people think I was a bit crazy, Ginny, because I would say every morning I open my back door and I stand on my bare feet outside. I have two beautiful dogs, you know, that greet us every day. But I have a tree that I planted years ago myself and it's in my garden. And I look at it and I say, good morning, tree, every day. And I just love the way even if the sun isn't you know we might have the gray clouds but the sun is still there it's to go out and just breathe it in and for me it's like a purposeful pause before I start my day before I you know it might be getting to that red on your chart yeah that I've allowed myself space and time and I think as human beings we start need to start bringing back that we deserve to give ourselves space and time before all of the obligations of life kick in whether it is for your career, your children, your family, whatever it is, you deserve time for you first before you can give to everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. And and your phrase, purposeful pause, is beautiful, Sharon. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and and I love it because it it highlights the benefit of purposefully taking that pause for yourself. Now, in particular, tired, stressed, overwhelmed, strung out wrecked Mm. clients that purposeful pause is essential for that emotional well-being that you mentioned but from a physiological biological point of view that reset in the morning first thing in the morning it's a particular type of daylight there's a particular strength to it and regardless of whether you live like I do in the northwest of Ireland or you live in Malaga in Spain Mm. It's that morning daylight you need. Mm. And we get enough of it here. It doesn't matter if the clouds are hanging over your house. There is enough daylight to do a physiological reset of your circadian rhythm Mm. in order for that circadian rhythm to to close that loop of that 24 hour circadian Mm. rhythm. Ideally, then at about 8 p.m., the lights then need to dim. So Mm. I, I, I say 8 p.m., in that most of my clients, we talk about it with regards to having a 10 o'clock, 10.30 bedtime. So if at 8 p.m. you then dim the lights, get a filter on your screens, dim the blue light, Mm. light a candle if you need, do not put the main light on in your living room. Mm. So it's essentially the best way in which you can send a signal to your brain that A, in the morning, my purposeful pause yeah. at 8 a.m. I've got my 10 minutes of daylight. It speaks directly from your eyeball to your brain. It tells your brain, this is the morning. I need to be awake and alert. And your alertness will increase by up to 30% by that one action. Likewise. Wow. Yeah, likewise. I mean, it is that the results, you know, that the neuroscientists who look at this will, will highlight the data. But until a client feels it it really lacks meaning you know you can give the numbers but until they feel it and that daylight 
they feel, give them two weeks of doing this. Um, but dim light at the end of the day, again, it's a direct signal from your eye to your brain, brain. that it's time now to slow down. It's time to prepare for bed, time to prepare for sleep. And that will directly regulate the hormones that are involved in sleep. So both of those actions have a direct impact on the hormones that regulate your circadian rhythm, basically how you sleep. I love it. And there's such easy steps. You know, I know if you've never done them before and people say, I haven't got time to go outside and looking at the daylight, and you know, yeah. whatever. Of course you have. Again, I always say if you just put on your alarm for 10 minutes earlier and allow yeah. yourself just to try it, give yourself a little challenge. It's the spring, you know, yeah. it's getting brighter. We have brighter evenings as well. But one of the things, you know, and again, I can only talk my own personal experience. One of the things I know they helped me through my own mental and emotional unwellness was stepping out onto the day and to the daylight. It had huge benefits for me. And plus it helped me ground and give myself that space and time for me and yeah. believe believe in my mind and my heart that I was worth it before anything yeah. else happened. But again, the, what you said, the most valuable thing, when it came to the evening, even if I was working with a group late, when I came into the sitting room and if the kids had the light up, you know, in the winter, yeah. okay, I would just slowly dim the light yeah. down, getting them ready also for sleep, but also me. And my mother used to call it, the mad half hour when the kids know they to get ready for bed. They all seem to go wild, Janine. Why? Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and, and it's, it's, it's known. It's that sort of giddiness. It's that sort of, yes. that sort of lack of, lack of anchor. But again, it's, it's why as, as parents, we're amazing at sorting this out for babies, you know, yeah. and, and moms spend a huge amount of money on gimmicks to get babies to sleep. And then, just for whatever reason, and there's lots of reasons for it, but don't invest in that um, for themselves. What I would say is there's absolutely no reason for anyone to spend any money whatsoever on improving their night's sleep. There are gimmicks. If you have money to burn, yeah. you know, give it to charity instead. For God's sake, don't yeah. don't buy these gimmicks. Close the curtains. It's funny you mention about you mention about kids, you know, being giddy or you know teenagers with the lights on and you dim them. That I was I was working with a client recently, and of course you end up talking about their their kids. And you know the the top tip for teenagers who we know they need more sleep. You know we need eight mm -hmm. hours. They need they do need ten hours sleep. You know there's yeah. there's evolutionary reasons why they're they're sleeping more and they need that sleep for for lots of reasons. But if you're struggling to get a teenager out of bed in the in the morning, top tip: open the curtains. Yes. The, even if they have the duvet pulled over them, it is really important. Again, that messaging to their brain that mm -hmm. it is morning time. So open curtains as quickly as you can if you're trying to get a reluctant teen or child out of yeah. bed. Um, and then in the winter, when the mornings are dark, turn on that overhead light. <laughs> yes. They um, won't like you in that moment, but they, they will get up. <laughs> yeah, no one's going to thank you for it. But in no. terms of you're essentially just doing what you can to reset their circadian rhythm as well. Um, yeah. Janine, do you know what? I think that might be the best advice because it's so simple and it doesn't cost any money for adults themselves or even for children. Or what I found is the blackout blinds for my yes. kids when they were young in the summer. And I got them quite cheaply and to fit my window. I think I had to cut them myself. I don't know how I managed to put them off. Maybe John did. But we got them up and it made such a difference to the yeah. kids being able to switch off in those summer, you know, when it comes into the later years yes. before they finish school. And they used to say, it's still bright outside, mom. <laughs> you know, that fight and battle that they have with you. Yeah. And you're going, please, I need to go to bed. Don't mind you. But the blackout blinds were a great thing to say, you know, once these come down, it was nighttime. But I think it's kind of um, consistency as well, isn't it, Janine? Yeah. It's kind of having a consistent practice for yourself so yeah. that you are reprogramming the mind yeah. and the body to accept the daylight hours and also the winding down in the evening. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sleep Absolutely. is so powerful, isn't it? Yeah. And in terms of consistency, you know, I think a lot of people um, and again, they've Googled, you know, how do I sleep better? 
um, and can go down a wormhole. But what I would say is really, if you can get a consistent wait time, it's the research has shown that that's better than having a consistent bedtime. So think about that in terms of, you know, if you haven't figured out what your natural wake time is, then, you know, we, we sort of we sort of work out, well, when do you have to be up and, and doing things and then yeah. work backwards about 90 minutes? So Very if you good. have to be out of the house at 8.30, then set your alarm for 7. So look at about 90 minutes before you have to be, you know, out. Yeah. Um, the reason we do that is, well, there's physiological reasons, but also in terms of habit change, it's mm. easier to set your wake time than your bedtime because we all have lives. We have social lives. And, and yes. I hope you're, 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 you and your listeners have very nice social lives, but we have less control of our, over our bedtime and yeah. we have more control over our wake time. And again, you're, we're not looking for perfection here. We're just yeah. looking at aiming to get something that fits in with your lifestyle. And if you can have a consistent wake up time aiming for about four times per week, then you're doing really excellent things in order to make a healthier choice for your lifestyle. So wake up consistently at a consistent time will have a big impact on on your lifestyle and your circadian rhythm. That is just brilliant. You know what I love? I always say I come back to the simple things in life and they really are the best yeah. way to start and I know there's people out there listening and they may have deeper issues with sleep and stress yes and Janine is the expert for that that you can contact and you can um, manage what she measures because yeah. I think that's lovely and I think when we know and you said it knowledge is power and when we give people the information then they go oh that's why oh and then they can make a change. Yes. I think this asking people to make changes without them knowing or understanding why that's going on for them. So for me, is once we have the awareness and the understanding of it, then we can create that change. We make a choice to create the change, I always say. Janine, I could keep talking to you, but I am, again, obviously mindful of the time. But I'm so grateful for your chat today with me. Oh, thanks so much, Sharon. I've, I've loved chatting with you and I'm be more than happy to help you and and your community in in any way I can you know anyone can find me on social media via the well-being advantage but you know I would I would reach out I'll, I'll answer questions to anyone um and and help your your community as as much uh-huh. as I possibly can so I hope this is the start of, of of some work that we can we can continue that definitely a conversation worth having Oh, my God. And so much more that we can talk about. So, Janine, I would like to welcome you back again another time because there is so much that you can talk about work-life balance, you know, and we all need the work-life balance. We find it and sometimes we let it go. And that happens in life. And again, not to give out to ourselves, but, (laughs) you know, if it's an ongoing thing. So, again, if there's something ongoing in your life that you're it's really, you know, creating this stuff in your mind and it's stopping you from sleeping well it's stopping you from having you know a peaceful feeling in the evening or during the day you know just ask yourself what's really hard in my life and if there's any way that Janine can help you you can contact her through the well-being advantage on Instagram and Janine Van Someren on LinkedIn 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 I was going to say (laughs) Perfect. And all you can contact her and um, the well-being advantage, your website, well-being workshops, health and wellness as well. Janine, yeah. you've given me so much information um, Thank you. which is amazing. And I just love that you went back to, you know, and for me, it's always about our natural rhythm. But our natural rhythm might not be the same as somebody else's natural rhythm. Yes. It's to find our natural rhythm and to not be comparing ourselves to everybody else, especially at different stages in our lives. But if you want to contact Janine and you'd like to, you know, have a consultation with her, get her on the phone, please do pick it up. As she said, she's happy to speak to you and help you how she can. Janine, I am so grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you. So thank you, everyone. And I look forward to connecting with you all again soon.